And I'd encourage my honourable friend to encourage his local businesses uh, to sign up. It is very easy to do so, and the best he can do is to tell them that. Jason McCartney. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Minister enhance and strengthen the Northern Powerhouse by making sure Yorkshire SMEs can take full advantage of public procurement contracts? In the measures I've been describing today, I shall. Sir Simon Burns. Well, my right on Will my right honourable friend accept that when we are told that it's good to talk, government departments are making it infinitely more difficult for members to contact private offices on behalf of their constituents because of the inaccuracies in the withdrawal of the Central Register of Private Office numbers. Can the Minister tell us when the practice of putting the um, communal number in the register will be stopped and the individual numbers of ministers' private offices yeah. restored yeah, yeah, yeah. as it was, so we can have proper communications between ministers' offices and members on behalf of our constituents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Speaker, uh, I owe members an apology for this. Uh, it is true that some of the telephone numbers in the directory uh, were both inaccurate and some were general numbers. Uh, the revision is being made quarterly. The next one is in March, and I've instructed all departments to provide private office numbers as members rightly expect. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr. Toby Perkins. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Ubi Perkin. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Government chose to launch the pupil premium at Spire Junior School in Chesterfield, where 70% of people receive free school meals. Uh, the head teacher, Dave Shaw, was running the Great North Run for a cancer charity. However, her new school's funding formula means that the Spire Junior School now face the biggest cuts in all of Derbyshire. Running for cash is now the only alternative to sacking staff. Will she go to the finish line and tell Dave Shaw how this is a fairer funding formula? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to say that in the uh, local authority that covers the, right on, the Honourable Gentleman's constituency, we've seen an increase of over 17,000 children at good or outstanding schools since 2010. That's down, that's down to government changes and the hard work of teachers and other staff in the schools. For a very long time, it has been the general view, and I have uh, uh, campaigned on this for a long time, that actually we need to see a fairer funding formula for schools. What? What the government has brought forward is a consultation, a consultation on a fairer funding formula. We look at the results of that uh, fairer funding formula and will bring forward our firm proposals in due course. Johnny Mercer. Thank you very much. Over the course of the last 12 months, as part of the Defence Select Committee, I've had the opportunity to look into the Iraq Historical Allegations Team and how we as a country more broadly deal with historical allegations against our servicemen and women. Not only for those of us who have served, but for many members across this House, this has been a deeply disturbing experience. Now, I know the Prime Minister gets this. 
but will she commit to redouble her and her government's efforts to get a grip on this historical allegations process so that never again will our servicemen and women be exposed mm -hmm. to the likes yeah. of Phil Shiner? Yeah. Well, I'm sure the whole House, first of all, will want to join me in praising the bravery and commitment of all those who serve in our armed forces. And I would like to take my, uh, thank my honourable friend for the work that he's doing on the Defence Committee, because of course he brings personal expertise to that work. Those who serve on the front line deserve our support when they get home, and I can assure my honourable friend of the Government's commitment to that. I, all troops facing uh, allegations receive legal aid from the Government, with the guarantee that this will not be claimed back. In relation to IAT, which he has specifically uh, referred to, we are committed to reducing its caseload to a small number of credible cases as quickly as possible. And I recognise that the action that has been taken in relation to the individual that he has referred to, I think it is absolutely appalling when people try to make a, a, a business out of chasing after our brave troops. Yeah. Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, nine out of ten NHS trusts say their hospitals have been at unsafe levels of overcrowding. One in six accident and emergency units in England are set to be closed or downgraded. Could the Prime Minister please explain how closing A&E departments will tackle overcrowding and ever-growing waiting lists? First of all, can I extend my thanks, and I'm sure that of the whole House, to the hard-working staff in the NHS who do a great job day in and day out treating patients. Yes, we recognise. Yes, we recognise there are heavy pressures on the NHS. That's why, that's why this year we're funding the NHS at £1.3 billion more than the Labour Party promised at the last election. He refers specifically to accident and emergency. What is our response in accident and emergency? We see 600 more A&E consultants, 1,500 more A&E doctors and 2,000 more paramedics. It's not about standing up and making a soundbite and asking a question. It's about delivering results, and that's what this Conservative government is doing. Mr Speaker, congratulating A&E staff is one thing. Paying them properly is another. I hope she managed to see the BBC report on the Royal Blackburn A&E department, which showed that people had to wait up to 13 hours and 52 minutes to be seen. A major cause of the pressure on A&Es is the 4.6 billion cut in the social care budget since 2010. Earlier this week, Liverpool's very esteemed adult, so adult social care Liverpool's adult social care director, Samir Kalakechi, resigned, saying, "Frankly, I can't see social services surviving after two years. That's the absolute maximum. People are suffering, and we're really only seeing the tip of the iceberg." Mr Speaker, what advice does the Government have to the people of Liverpool in this situation? The right hon. Order, order. It's bad enough when members who are within the curtilage of the chamber shout. Those who are not 
absolutely should not do so. It's a discourtesy to the House of Commons. Nothing more, nothing less. Please don't do it. The Prime Minister. Well, he, he referred... He referred at... He referred at an early stage of his question to Blackburn. I'm happy to say that compared to 2010, there are 129 more hospital doctors and 413 more nurses in the Blackburn East Lancashire Hospital's NHS Trust. He then went on to talk about waiting times, and waiting times can be an issue. Where is it that you wait a week longer for pneumonia treatment, that you wait a week longer for heart disease treatment, that you wait that you wait seven weeks longer for cataract treatment, 11 weeks longer for hernia treatment, and 21 weeks longer for a hip operation. It's not in England, it's in Wales. Who's in power in Wales? Labour. Mr Speaker, um, my question was about the comments from Samia Kalakechi in Liverpool and why the people of Liverpool are having to suffer these great cuts. Liverpool has asked to meet the government on four occasions. The crisis is so bad that until yesterday, Mr Speaker, David Hodge, the Conservative leader of Surrey County Council, planned to hold a referendum for a 15% increase in council tax. And at the last minute, it was called off. Can the Prime Minister tell the House whether or not a special deal was done for Surrey? The, uh, the decision as to whether or not to hold a referendum in Surrey is entirely a matter for the local authority in Surrey, in Surrey County Council. But um, I, I say the Right Honourable Gentleman has raised the issue of social care, which, which we've exchanged on across this dispatch box before. And as I've said before, we do need to find a long-term sustainable solution for social care in this country. So I recognise the short-term pressures. That's why we have enabled local authorities to put more money into social care. We have provided more money. Over the next two years, 900 million more, uh, more pounds will be available for social care. Uh, it's why, but we also need to look at ensuring that good practice is spread across the whole of the, uh, of the country. We can look at places like um, Barnsley, North Tyneside, St Helens, Rutland. Uh, towards the end of last year, there were virtually no delayed discharges attributable to social care in those councils. But we also need to look long term, and that's why the Cabinet Office is driving a review with the relevant departments to find a sustainable solution, which the Labour Party ducked for far too long. Mr Speaker, my question was whether there had been a special deal done for Surrey. The leader said they'd had many conversations with the government. We know they have, because I've been leaked copies of texts sent by the Tory leader David Hodge, intended for somebody called Nick, who works for ministers in the Department of Communities and Local Government. And these texts read, I'm advised that DCLG officials have been working on a solution and it, you will be contacting me to agree a memorandum of understanding. Will the government... Will the government now publish this memorandum of understanding? And while they're about it, will all councils be offered the same deal? 
What we, have, what we have given all councils is the opportunity to raise a 3% precept on the council tax for that to go into, uh, into social care. He talks about understanding. What the Labour Party fails to understand. What the Labour Party. Uh, order! Order! There's far too much noise. Mr. Pound, calm yourself. You're supposed to be a senior statesman. And order! <laughs> And, and, and Mr. Rotherham, you should re reserve your shouting for the stands at Anfield, Prime Minister. As I, as I say, all councils, all councils have the opportunity to raise the three percent precept to put that uh, funding into the provision of social care. What the Labour Party fails to understand is that this is not just a question of looking at money; it is a question of looking at spreading best practice and finding a sustainable solution. And I have to say to him that if we look at social care provision across the uh, entire country, the last thing social care providers need is another one of Labour's bouncing checks. Mr Speaker, I wonder if it's anything to do with the fact that the Chancellor and Health Secretary both represent Surrey constituencies. But, Mr Speaker, there was a second text from Surrey County Council leader to Nick, and in the second text, it says the numbers you indicated are the numbers that I understand are acceptable for me to accept and call off the R. Now I've been reading a, I've been reading a bit of John Le Carre, and apparently R means referendum. It's very subtle, all this. And um, he goes on to say in his text to Nick. If it is possible for that info to be sent to myself, I can then revert back soonest, really want to kill this off. So how much did the government offer Surrey to kill this off? And is the same sweetheart deal on offer to every council facing the social care crisis created by her government? I've made, clear, I've made clear to the right honourable gentleman what has been made available to every council, which is the ability to raise the precept. And I have to say to him... Uh, order! Order! As colleagues know, I never mind how long Prime Minister's questions take. The questions must be heard and the answers must be heard. The Prime Minister. I have to say to him, he comes, he comes to the dispatch box making all sorts of claims. Yet again, what we get from Labour are alternative facts. What, what, um, what, uh, what they really need is an alternative leader. Mr. Mr. Speaker, my question was what deal had been offered to Surrey that got them to call off a referendum and will the same deal be offered to every other council going through a social care crisis? Mr Speaker, hospital wards are overcrowded. A million people aren't getting the care they need and family members, mostly women, are having to give up work to care for loved ones. Every day that the Prime Minister fails to act, this crisis gets worse. So will she finally 
come clean and provide local authorities with the funding they need to fund social care properly so that our often elderly and vulnerable people can be treated with the support and dignity that they deserve in a civilised society. The deal that is on offer to all councils is the one that I've already set out. But let me, let me just... Let me just be very clear with the right honourable gentleman, because as ever he stands up and consistently asks for more spending, more money, more funding. What he always fails to recognise, what he fails to recognise, is that you can only spend money on social care and on the National Health Service if you have a strong economy to deliver the wealth that you need. There is, there is a fundamental difference between us. When I talk order, I'm sorry, there's still too much noise in the chamber. People observing our proceedings here and outside want the questions heard and the answers heard, and they will be. The Prime Minister. There is a difference between us. When I talk about half a trillion pounds, that's the money we'll be spending on the NHS this Parliament. When Labour talk about half a trillion pounds, it's the money they want to borrow. Conservatives investing in the NHS, Labour bankrupting Britain. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There are significant challenges facing this great nation of ours, Prime Minister one of which is tackling mental health, particularly for young people. The pressures of juggling school life, family life and staying safe and feeling valued online are more difficult than ever. Would the Prime Minister agree with me to meet with me and my team to discuss a mental health that we, uh, app that we have been working on and developing to give young people a toolbox to help them in their times of crisis? I am very interested to hear of the work that my honourable friend is doing in this important area. As he knows, I think mental health is an area where we do need to put a, a more of a focus and make real progress. I am pleased to say that something like 1,400 more people are accessing mental health services now every day, which is an advance, but more needs to be done. We are putting more money, £68 million, in improving mental health care through digital innovation, which sounds if it fits right into uh, what my honourable friend is looking at. And there will be a particular focus on that with children and young people's mental health in mind. And he might want to look out for the Department of Health and Department of Education joint uh, green paper they're going to be publishing on this in October. Angus Robertson. Last night, parliamentarians from across the chamber and across the parties voted overwhelmingly against the UK government's Brexit plans in the Scottish Parliament. If the United Kingdom... If the United Kingdom is a partnership of equals, will the Prime Minister compromise like the Scottish Government and reach a negotiated agreement before invoking Article 50, or will she just carry on regardless? As the the right honourable gentleman knows, when the UK Government negotiates, it will be negotiating as the Government for the whole of the United Kingdom. We have put in place the JMC arrangements through various committees which enable us to work closely with the devolved administrations to identify the particular issues that they want to see uh, represented as we put our views together. 
We have said that we will intensify the discussions within that JMC arrangement, and that is exactly what we will be doing. Angus Robertson. Mr Speaker, when the Prime Minister was in Edinburgh on the 15th of July last year, she pledged that she would, and I quote, not trigger Article 50 until she had an agreed UK-wide approach. So given that the Scottish Parliament has voted overwhelmingly against her approach, and all bar one MP representing a Scottish constituency in this House of Commons has voted against her approach, she does not have an agreed UK-wide approach. Now, Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker, as the Prime Minister knows, a lot of people in Scotland watch Prime Minister's questions. So will she tell those viewers in Scotland whether she intends to keep her word to Scotland or not? We are ensuring that we are working closely with the Scottish Government and indeed with the other devolved administrations as we take this matter forward. I would just remind the Right Honourable Gentleman of two things. First of all, the Supreme Court was very clear that the Scottish Parliament does not have a veto on the triggering of Article 50. Uh, The bill that is going through the House, obviously, is giving the power to the Government to trigger Article 50. And I would also remind him of this point, because he constantly refers to the interests of Scotland inside the European Union. An independent Scotland would not be in the European Union. Mr Speaker, the people of Rosendale and Darwin warmly welcome the Government's Housing Wife paper. Will my right honourable friend confirm that when it comes to providing more security for renters, building more affordable homes and helping people buy their own home, it is this party, the Conservative Party, that is fixing our broken housing market. I'm very very happy to agree with my honourable friend. Our broken housing market, I think, is one of the greatest barriers to progress in Britain today. And the housing white paper, uh, the excellent housing white paper brought out by my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, sets out the steps we'll take to fix it. And my honourable friend is right. It's the Conservatives in government who are going to support local authorities to deliver more of the right homes in the right places, to encourage faster build-out of developments. I'm sure everybody recognises the problem of planning permissions that are given and then not built out, and create the conditions for a more competitive and diverse housing market. We're calling for action. We're setting out the responsibilities of all parties in building the homes that Britain needs. Patrick Grady. Thank you. Does the Prime Minister agree that in a 21st century Parliament the rules should not enable any member to speak for 58 minutes in a three-hour debate? Does she agree with me that the rules of the House should be changed to prevent filibustering and to ensure that members from all sides of the House get a fair share of the time available? I have to say I find that a rather curious question from the Honourable Gentleman. Uh, Last night, as it happens, I was out of the House uh, between the two uh, votes. I switched on on the BBC Parliamentary Channel and I saw the Honourable Gentleman speaking. I turned over to something else. I switched back. I switched back to the Parliamentary Channel. I saw the Honourable Gentleman still speaking. I switched over to something else. Back and the honourable gentleman was still speaking. He's the last person to complain about filibustering in this house. Mrs. Theresa 
Rangers. Mr. Speaker, as we prepare to take. Order! Mr. Doherty Hughes, you seem to be in a state of permanent overexcitement. Calm yourself, man. Take some sort of medicament and it will soothe you. We must hear Mrs. Villiers. Mr. Speaker, as we prepare in this House to take back control over our laws on agriculture, will she agree to use Brexit as an opportunity to strengthen, not weaken, the rules which safeguard the welfare of animals? My my right honourable friend does raise an important point that is, I know, of concern to many people in this House and outside. And we should be proud in the UK that we have some of the highest animal welfare standards in the world. Indeed, one of the highest scores for animal protection in the world. And leaving the EU will not change this. And I can assure my right honourable friend that we are committed to maintaining and, where possible, improving standards of welfare in the UK, while ensuring, of course, that our industry is not put at a competitive disadvantage. Gavin Newlands. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Last week, the Russian Duma shamefully decriminalised domestic violence committed against women and children. Given the Prime Minister's new Global Britain approach, I trust the government will encourage Russia to rethink this aggressive approach which trivialises domestic violence. Does she agree that ratifying the Istanbul Convention would send a message to Russia and the world about the priority it should be placed um, on ending gender based violence? Can I first of all say to the Honourable Gentleman that I am proud that in this country we have strengthened the law on domestic violence and violence against women and girls. We see this as a retrograde step by the Russian government. Uh, Repealing existing legislation sends out absolutely the wrong message on what is a global problem. Uh, We have joined others in both the Council of Europe and the OSCE in criticising this decision. Mr Ian Stewart. Thank thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Each year the NHS reportedly spends more £80 million more than it needs to on prescriptions for basic painkillers that can be sourced much more cheaply. Yet at the same time, uh, secondary breast cancer patients face being denied life-extending drugs like Concilo by NICE. May I ask my right honourable friend to review this poor allocation of resources and give breast cancer sufferers the hope that they deserve? This this is obviously a very important issue that my honourable friend has raised. I I understand that actually on the point of basic medication, it isn't the fact that the NHS pays more for basic painkillers than on the high street. Uh, In fact, their prices are lower. And in the case of Cudzilla and uh, similar drugs, it is right that the difficult decisions are made on the basis of the clinical evidence. I understand NICE is undertaking a comprehensive assessment before making a final recommendation. And in the meantime, Cudzilla is still available to patients. Tom Elliott. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And last month, uh, Sir Anthony Hart published his report on historical institutional abuse in Northern Ireland. Given the uncertain political uh, situation in the institutions in Northern Ireland, if the executive is not up and running again uh, within the month, will the Prime Minister commit to implementing that report on historical institutional abuse in full? This was obviously an important review that that, uh, was undertaken and of course uh, we have our own uh, inquiry into historic child abuse uh, taking place in England and uh, and, uh, Wales. Um, 
I recognise the point the Honourable Gentleman makes about the looking ahead to the future. We obviously have the elections on the 2nd of March. There will then be a limited period of time for an executive to be put together. I fervently hope and would encourage all parties to work very hard to ensure that an executive can be put together in Northern Ireland to maintain the devolved institutions. I don't want to be see the benefits that have come of progress uh, being, being undone at this stage. And I am sure, but I am sure that looking ahead, whatever is necessary will be done to ensure that the findings of that report are taken into account and acted on. James Morris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has been crystal clear in her negotiating objectives as we prepare to leave the European Union. But would the Prime Minister would, would the Prime Minister agree with me that regions like the West Midlands, part of which I represent, needs a voice in those negotiations to ensure that we take the opportunities presented by Brexit to raise investment in education, skills and infrastructure in the region to ensure that her vision of a global Britain represents the interests of all the regions of England as well as the broader United Kingdom? Yeah. Well, I, I agree with my honourable friend. When uh, we negotiate as the United Kingdom, we'll be negotiating for the whole of the United Kingdom and taking account the interests of all parts of the United Kingdom. We have a real ambition in terms of making the Midlands an engine for growth. That's about growing the region's economy. It's about more jobs. That's why money's been put into growth deal funding, the Birmingham uh, Rail Hub, for example. But of course, the West Midlands will be getting uh, a strong voice nationally with a directly elected mayor in May. And I believe Andy Street, with both local expertise and business experience, will be a very good mayor for the West Midlands. In welcoming the Honourable Gentleman back again to the Chamber, I call Mr Ronnie Campbell. I'm looking pretty slim as well, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, uh, I had five months of uh, in-depth uh, uh, into the health service uh, in the Newcastle uh, RVI under the auspices of uh, Professor Griffiths, uh, a marvellous surgeon, I might add. Uh, seeing I went in, maybe he's coming up with palliative care, I think he's just about saved my life. But there is a flip side, that's the best side of the National Health, and it's been absolutely wonderful, the, the service I got. But there is a flip side, and the flip side is what we're seeing today. And now we have designated nurses, who call them corridor nurses, and they're in the corridor, and yeah. they're looking after patients on trolleys. Yeah. I'm quite honest, Prime Minister. That's not the way we want our health service to run. Yeah. We want it the way to run what saved me. Get your purse open and give them the money that they want. Yeah. Well, as the Speaker said, I welcome the Honourable Gentleman to his place again in this chamber. And uh, I commend the, all those, the surgeon and all those who have treated him in the National Health Service that has enabled him to be here today and to continue his duties. Uh, there are, as we know, surgeons, doctors, nurses, other staff up and down the NHS, day in and day out, saving lives, and we should commend them for all that they do. The North East actually is a very good example of some of the really good practice that we see in the National Health Service. What I want to see is that good practice being spread across the NHS, across the whole country. Dr Sarah Wollaston. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm not alone in hearing from families long settled here in Britain who are deeply worried that they could be separated after we leave the European Union. I know that the Prime Minister will not want that to happen. And I wonder if today she could reassure all our constituents that those who were born elsewhere in the European Union, but settled here in the UK, married or in partnerships with British citizens, 
could be reassured that they will have the right to remain? Well, my honourable friend obviously raises an issue that is of concern to members all across this House, and obviously, as she says, of concern to many individuals outside of this House who are, uh, want reassurance about their future. And as I've said, I want to be able to give that and expect to be able to give that reassurance, but I do want to see the same reassurance for UK citizens living in the EU. But what I can say to my honourable friend is that when I trigger Article 50, I intend to make it clear that I want this to be a priority for an early stage of the negotiations so we can address this issue and give reassurance to the people concerned. Dawn Butler. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, just two weeks ago, Kumari Sirankuma Barnes, 15 years old, left school and was stabbed four times and died. Three days earlier, Jojo Nasaka, 19, was stabbed to death in Wembley. And just a few months earlier, two of my young constituents were killed and the police say it was a case of mistaken identity. James Arusu Aikum, 22 years old, and Oliver Tetlow, 27 years old. Next week, I'm meeting the Deputy Mayor of London to discuss this issue and other issues. Will the Prime Minister meet with me, fellow MPs, and my borough commander to talk about this issue and the Sycamore project, which we'd like to see rolled out in London and beyond? Can I, first of all, express, obviously, the condolences of the whole House to the families and friends of all those who she has referred to in her question, who have been so brutally stabbed and attacked, uh, suffered from the knife attacks that she refers to. Um, we, obviously, this is an important issue. It's particularly an important issue for London, but it is a, uh, uh, one that we want to see addressed. A lot of good work has been done. I'm not aware of the Sycamore project that she has referred to, but I would be very happy to hear more details of it. James Berry. Mr Speaker, from medics at Kingston Hospital to researchers at Kingston University to staff at growing electronics businesses like Genuine Solutions, Kingston's workforce is enriched by highly skilled workers from abroad. So can my right honourable friend confirm that after we leave the EU, we will continue to welcome highly skilled workers from the EU and beyond? I thank my honourable friend for his question. We've been very clear that, of course, we do want uh, to bring the numbers of net migration down, but we also want to ensure that the brightest and the best are still welcome here in the United Kingdom. And that's why uh, I think people want to see the UK government making decisions about people who are coming here from the European Union. But we're very clear about the importance. As I said in my speech in Lancaster House, there will still be immigration from the European Union into the UK, and we want to ensure that the brightest and best are able to come here. Liz Kendall. Thank you, Yesterday, the Brexit Minister claimed that Parliament will have a meaningful vote on the final EU deal. But can the Prime Minister confirm that under her plans, Parliament will either have to accept what the government offers or fall back on WTO rules? And in the event there's no deal, there'll be no vote at all. Isn't the reality? This is just take it or leave it. And it isn't a meaningful concession. It's a con. We've been very clear. I'm very happy to reiterate what was said uh, by the Minister in the debate yesterday. 
We have looked at this. I said in my Lancaster House speech that there would be a vote on the final deal. There were a number of questions as to what exactly that meant. We will bring forward a motion. That motion will be on the final agreement. It will be for approval by both Houses of Parliament. It will be before the final agreement is concluded. And we do expect, because I know this has been an issue for a number of uh, honourable and right honourable members, we do expect and intend that that will happen before the European Parliament debate and vote, before it debates and votes on the final agreement. Graham Brady. Yeah. The Prime Minister knows that Trafford schools are the best in the country, but they were also in one of the F40 worst funded areas. But perversely, the draft funding formula would actually cut funding for Trafford schools, not increase it. When she reviews the draft proposals, will she look, please, for a new formula that guarantees that all of the worst funded areas are increased in funding, not cut? My, my honourable friend raises again an important point that I know is a matter which is on the minds of a number of honourable and right honourable friends. As I said earlier, I think that the current system of funding is unfair. It's not transparent. I think it is out of date. And uh, I want to see a system that does support our aspiration to ensure that every child has a good school place. Um, but uh, in looking at these reforms, I can assure my honourable friend that we want to get this right. It's why we're consulting and it's why, why we will look very closely at the responses to that consultation. Caroline Flint. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Empower have announced a 9.8% increase on dual fuel bills, which even the former boss of Empower, Paul Mazzara, has described as shocking. EDF have announced an 8.4% electricity hike and it's reported that British Gas is preparing its 11 million customers for a 9% increase. Ofgem have moved to protect those on prepayment metres with a cap on their energy bills. So I ask the Prime Minister, why doesn't she demand similar protection for the majority of customers who are being ripped off, as the CMA has said, by the sum of £1.4 billion? The, uh, the Right Honourable Lady might have missed the fact that actually we have said that where we think markets aren't working, then we will look at any uh, measures that are needed, and the energy market is one of those that we're looking at at the moment. John McCartney. Thank you, and in the spirit of neutrality, Speaker, the Prime Minister's Lancaster House speech last month was a rallying call to put the divisions of the referendum behind us and to unite behind a bold vision for a stronger, fairer, more global Britain. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that this is a vision that everyone in this House should support, as the more united we are, the stronger our negotiating hand will be? And order. The, oh, I apologise. The honourable gentleman must be heard, Mr. McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again, Speaker. And finally, does she share my surprise that certain right honourable members opposite haven't learned that disagreeing with their current party leader can cause headaches? Can I? Can I? Can I say to my? Can I say to my honourable friend? He is absolutely right that I think the country wants us in this House uh, and uh, everybody in the country wants to unite behind the government's work to ensure that we get the best possible deal for the United Kingdom as we leave the European Union. And I believe that we can get a deal that actually is going to be in the interest both of the UK and of the European Union. I had hoped that I was going to be able to welcome the Shadow Home Secretary to the front bench in time for the vote that is going to take place uh, later tonight. Perhaps members of the Labour Party are starting to realise that the only real headache is their leader. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Does the, pri- 
Does the Prime Minister agree with the Director General of the World Trade Organization that if Britain were to leave the EU on WTO terms, it would cost £9 billion in lost trade each year? What we, uh, what we want to do is to ensure that we negotiate a deal with the European Union that enables us to have the best possible deal in trading in, with and operating within the European Union single uh, market in goods and services. I believe that's possible precisely because, as I've just said in response to my honourable friend, the member for Lincoln, I believe that is a deal that is good not just for us but for the EU as well. Julian Sturdy. Thank you, yeah. uh, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister rightly argues for true parity of esteem between mental and physical health, but parents in York have been told that their children must wait up to a year for an assessment by the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. As the Department of Health actually does not currently record these figures, would the Prime Minister consider making the monitoring of CAMS waiting times a requirement? My honourable friend has raised an important point. As I set out a few weeks ago, uh, we will be looking, the government will be reviewing the operation of CAM services across the country because I recognise some of the concerns that honourable members have raised about this. We want to ensure that children and young people have easy access at the right time to mental health because of the evidence that a significant proportion of mental health problems that arise later in life actually start at the age when uh, children, uh, children and adolescents. We have made more money available to support transformation in children and young people's mental health, but the Shadow Health Secretary, uh, sorry, the Health Secretary is on. (laughs) He's in his place as well. I hope the Shadow Health Secretary will agree with me that we need to review CAM services and ensure that we're giving the right support to uh, children and young people, adolescents with mental health problems, and we will uh, look at the issue that my honourable friend has raised. Hugh Heyman. Mr Speaker, um, many honourable members in this House have recently made the long journey up to West Cumbria for the Copeland by-election and will all have experienced the parlous states of our roads and our local railways. In fact, it's taken a by-election for transport ministers to look seriously and show any real interest in this situation. Can I ask, is the Prime Minister planning a trip herself so she too can experience why we need proper investment from this government into our transport infrastructure in West Cumbria? We are putting more money, as this government is putting more money into infrastructure investment across the country. But I have to say to her, the Labour Party had 13 years to improve transport in West Cumbria and didn't do anything about it. Miss Green! Thank you, Mr Speaker. I I recently visited uh, Woodall Nicholson, a world-class coach building manufacturer based in my constituency, and heard about their exciting plans for the future. Will my right honourable friend join me in emphasising the importance of skills and manufacturing for our economy, especially as we look to leave the European Union. Can I thank my honourable friend for drawing our attention to the example of Woodall Nicholson and to say how pleased we are to hear that they have those good plans for the future. And can I say to him, he's absolutely right, as we leave the EU, we'll be doing that from a position of strength. He is right that skills and manufacturing are important parts of our economy for the future. That's why in the industrial strategy we are looking at how we can develop the excellence that we already have in the United Kingdom for the prosperous uh, uh, growing economy for the future. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister's right honourable friend, the member for Rushcliffe, 
last week pointed out that her aspiration to achieve barrier-free, tariff-free trade with the single market, uh, getting all the benefits but paying none of the costs, was actually akin to disappearing down the rabbit hole to Wonderland. Uh, Mr Speaker, I think she makes a very interesting choice for Alice. But, but if she doesn't manage to achieve that high ambition, would she produce an analysis of what trading on WTO rules would actually mean for our economy so we can make a proper choice? Can I say I, have, uh, I commend my right honourable friend, the member for Rushcliffe, for the significant service he has given to this House and to his constituents over the years. He and, he, he and I have always... He and I have worked well over a number of the years, although I have to say, when I was Home Secretary and he was Justice Secretary, I used to say that I locked him up and he let him out. But um, can I say to the uh, Right Honourable Lady that as far, as far as this Government is concerned, we believe it is possible, within the two-year time frame, to get the agreement not just for our withdrawal from the European Union, but also the trade arrangements that will ensure that we have a strong strategic partnership with the European Union in the future. Finally, Sir Eric Pickles. Friends meeting with uh, Mr. Netanyahu this uh, week, did she press that the only way to get a lasting peace settlement is for young Palestinians and young Israelis to look forward to a, a job, a sharing prosperity, and a life without fear? Does she agree that the only way to achieve this is face to face negotiations? And will she join the uh, Israeli Prime Minister in pressing? the Prime Minister of the Palestinian Authorities for face-to-face -face negotiations. My right honourable friend makes, uh, does make a very important point about this. We continue as a, a government, Conservative government in the UK to believe that the two-state solution is the right one. That means uh, a viable Palestinian state but also a safe and secure uh, Israel. Uh, and of course it is for the parties to negotiate. Obviously there are others on the international arena who are uh, doing their work to facilitate an agreement in the Middle East, but ultimately it is for the two parties to agree a way forward. Order. Uh, Ten-minute rule motion, Liz Savile-Roberts. Lavarith Ervanav, I beg to move that leave be given for me to bring in a bill to make provision for the circumstances in which the sexual history of a victim